0: Mark chapter 4 this evening, we just hit on a a brief moment last week, but we're going to look at a little more in-depth, a good chunk of the chapter today. I put there a question at the top there for you to think about for a second, we can talk about it. What do you think is the biggest obstacle slash hindrance keeping us from witnessing as we should? What What are some thoughts that pop into your mind? Fear. Fear, I agree, fear. I won't have an answer. Yeah, if someone brings up that question I'm not sure of, I'm going to be a failure then in, in sharing the gospel. The what? What do you mean by projection? Oh, rejection. I was like, okay, that's a new one, but yes. No, the fear of rejection and that I don't, I don't want to be rejected. And so we, we allow that fear to, to bolster or to actually do the opposite of bolstering. Anybody else? Other things get in the way. It just it gets pushed to the side. Priorities, yeah. Pam, I think that that. Like, the, how do I how do I get into that? So I lack experience sometimes, or the training, in order to to do that. Or how do I how do I get there? And a lot of times we allow that fear to fester in our lives, the, the insecurities that we sometimes fear. Uh, we, we get to the point of, you know, I'm, there's got to be somebody better who can do the work than, than me, so I'll, I'll leave it to, you know, pastor, or I'll leave it to deacon, or I'll leave it to so-and-so. They've been, a, they've been a believer for so long. And a lot of times when we look at the majority of responses, I think we can boil them down to, to a couple statements here. We don't know what we should do. We're not, we're not sure or how do we bridge into it or what what do we do if we are rejected how do we handle that where do we go and wh- what do we do to to transition into from a normal conversation to a spiritual conversation how do we turn that corner and then that second one there we don't know how others are going to respond we're fearful of rejection we're fearful of our, for our own our own lives and we look and say not in a sense of we don't have to in america fear what's going to happen to us, but we do fear the insecurities or how it's going to impact our lives. And what's interesting is how Mark is going to develop the next couple chapters. He's going to talk about some of these areas of, of sharing the gospel, but then he's going to lead into the idea of being fearful. And how, how, do you, how does Christ deal with the fear and the faith of the disciples? And it all sort of, sort of blends together, and oftentimes the, the, it leads to a fear and an apathy in our evangelism where we look and say, hey, we've got to share the gospel. I think, I think looking across the, the room here, the majority of us will look and go, okay, we know we need to share the gospel. But does it, does it stop there? Are we, do we find ourselves in an apathetic state? And what happens here is in this parable as Jesus begins to talk with the individuals, not just the disciples. Notice it, there's, a, there's a crowd here chapter four says, and he began to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so much so that he entered into the ship as, as they're pressing against him at the sea. And they sat in, he sat in the sea and the whole multitude by the sea on the land. So he's got this, this large crowd that he is going to be talking to. So it's not just the 12 here at this moment. It's not just a few people. He's talking to the masses and he's going to start sharing a parable that sometimes when we, we hear familiar things, we check out. We're just like, well, no, all right, here we go again. But in this case, let's, let's look at this and try and look at it through with fresh eyes and, and looking and saying, what was it like the first time Mark's readers were hearing this? What was it like when they heard it for the first time and they're, they're catching what Mark is driving at? And he looks and he says to them that he taught many things in parables, and he said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass that as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on the stony ground, where it had, didn't have a lot of earth, but immediately the, the, the plant sprang up. And then after it sprang up, because it had no depth in the earth, it had no root because of the stoniness of the ground, the sun comes out, and it scorches it, and it burns it up because it had no root, and it withers away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it out and yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground and it yielded fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth 30 and 60 fold and, and some a 100. And he just tells this parable. Now to, to many of us, we sort of, okay, we might get the, the home gardening experience. We might have the little thing in the back window where yes, we've planted a few seeds and we've watched it. Some of you may be farmers and you've, you've done the little farmette or a full farm. So you're, you're, we're familiar a little bit with what it is to plant something, put a seed in the ground and watch it grow and hopefully get some harvest out of that. But to an agricultural society like it would have been in Israel during this time as Jesus was speaking, they would have vividly pictured what was happening. And one of the things we have to, we have to look at, and we look at, here's, I'll give you a little chart here of what the soil type was, the, way, the wayside or the, the, the hardened path is, is the idea of the wayside, the, the stony ground the the thorny and the good ground and and here was the problem as jesus laid it out the harvest in the in the stony or the hard the wayside there there was no there was no harvest there there was nothing that happened and then you get the stony ground where what happens at harvest time it's scorched it was withered away there was again no harvest the plant did not sustain to the point of bringing forth fruit and then you get the thorny where it starts to grow up. It's looking promising, but all these thorns start coming in and choking it out. And it doesn't have the ability to, to grow up and yield fruit. And, and he just, it, it's not a harvestable plant. There's no fruit that comes out of it. And then there's the seed that was planted in the good ground. And he, it grows up and it, it bears fruit. Think we need to take away from our, our perspective. When I used to think about this, all I ever thought about this parable is is a science it's a science project. I mean, you think about the little fifth or fourth or fifth grader, and we're gonna plant our seeds in this type of soil, we're gonna plant our seeds in this type of soil, this type of soil, and this type of soil, and let's see what happens. That's not the picture, it's not what's happening here. You've got to go back into society, back into their culture, and you've got you've got the sower who's got this big seed bag on the side. He's got all of his seed, and he's walking across all of his land. Because he, he is trying to use as much of his land as possible. He, he's not sure where it's going to all come up. He has a good idea, but he's still not going to take it for granted. So he goes out to all of his land, and he's doing what's called broadcast spreading. He's throwing it out. He's seeding every dynamic, every part of his land. He's not looking and saying, many of us would look and go, we know it's not going to grow there, so we're not going to waste our time. It's not going to grow there, so I'm not even going to put the effort in. Jesus is looking and saying, in that culture, he goes out and he spreads indiscriminately. It's it's in every type of soil. It's all over his land, and he's going to cast it out. The the worst thing that he could have at the end of the day is seed in his bag that he can't use. It's it's not beneficial for him. And so he would go out and he would sow it all over. And Jesus just ends it there. He says, though, in verse 9, he says... And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice the number of times over this this chapter that it's going to come up, the idea of hearing. He starts off with the idea of hearken, listen. Now he's going to say, If you have ears to hear, you need to hear what I just said. And he leaves it there, and the crowd is going to disperse, and there's going to be a moment here where he's going to get some alone time, not just with his disciples, but with some others as well. It says, verse 10, and when he was alone, they that were with him along with the 12 asked him of the parable. They looked at him and said, uh, can you help us here? Okay, so we know, that, we know that people go out and spread seed. We know that that happens and we know that some of it grows up and some of it doesn't. We, we understand that. But what was the point of your, it would, it would be like if could you pastor's opening illustration, he gets up and tells this great story and then he says, all right, have a good day. And we'd all be like, oh, what's the point here? What, what are you driving at? And that's what they're, they're trying to understand. What is, what is he talking about? And like many of his followers and the disciples, they didn't understand. So Jesus is going to take some time in, in two verses here and going to help them start to understand. And then he's going to interpret the parable to help us out. Now, in verses 11 and 12, in the midst of, of helping us, he, he brings some difficult statements along with it. Because verse 11 and 12, there, there, are some, there are some struggles here. He says, unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parable, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. So you get this statement from Jesus where it's it, almost at first glance. You're looking and saying, wait, is he hiding truth so that these people cannot get saved? So that at any time they, they would turn and, and repent and get saved. Is that, is that what Jesus is driving at? Now this idea of a mystery is, is something that has not yet been revealed. So he says, I'm going to reveal part of the mystery of the kingdom to those who are on the inside, so to speak. He's, Mark talks about those who are on the inside, those who are on the outside, those who are without you can even look back into chapter 3, those who are without the, outside of the house calling into Jesus. And you'll see this come in and, and play through the, the gospel market Mark at different times. But he looks and he says, okay, those of you who are on the inside, so to speak, and we'll, we'll clarify what that means in a second. He says, let me, let me pull back the curtain a little bit. Let me start to reveal something to you that only I can reveal through revelation, through special revelation, through a, a divine knowledge. Paul talks about, behold, I show you a mystery, and he'll talk about, let's, let's pull back the curtain so that we can get a little bit better glimpse of what is being talked about. And so he's going to start talking about the kingdom of God, and he's going to flesh through a number of parables through the gospel of Mark here in the next, well, the next chapter, uh, helping us to understand it. But he says, okay, let me tell you that. But why did he give these parables? why are they Why are they there? Are they there just um, to those without? Just to simply say, "We don't want you to know about them in this instance here, in this specific instance, Jesus is going to use this parable to obscure a little bit of the truth to those those people who were against him so there is a there is a dynamic in this one instance where he's looking and saying. I am, I am using this parable to hide a little bit of the truth. Now, at first we're like, why would Jesus do that? What, what would cause him to do that? But that is not in every parable, because you have to remember, other parables are directly given to the Pharisees, or directly pointed at them. You remember the story, the, the, the parable of the, uh, the, the prodigal son? They're sitting there, they're listening, and they're catching on that we're that other brother. You get the, you get the uh, parable of uh, the good Samaritan where he's talking, and, and they're catching. And, and the, the, one, the Pharisee can't even bring himself, the, the spiritual guy can't bring himself to say the, the Samaritan was the one who showed mercy. So all the parables are not designed to hide truth from the religious leaders or from those who are on, on the outside. But in this case, Jesus is doing that a little bit. Now, how do we, how do we come to that? Is Jesus speaking in parables at this point simply to keep them on the outs, to keep them away? Whenever you go to the Scriptures, when we talk about interpreting difficult passages, a solid principle to live by when you're doing this is you interpret the unclear passage in light of the clear passages of Scripture. What do we know and how do we know what we know? When we know the truths and what is very clear, how does that help us understand a difficult passage? So in this case, we're, we're looking and saying, what's happening? Is Jesus really trying to keep these individuals out of heaven? Well, how does that fit? How does that, honestly, how does that jive with what Jesus has always done? What, when Jesus came, what was his, what's his mission? What's his desires? Seek so and save the lost. We know that very clearly. What, what else was Jesus about? He's about serving other people. He's about caring. He wanted people to get saved. So that is, we know clearly that is his desire, that he wants all people. His desire is that all should come to repentance. That is a clear, clear statement of Scripture that we know. So that it will help us to understand this passage. In fact, Matthew chapter 13, let's go back there for a second. Matthew 13 is the parallel passage to this account. And in Matthew 13, uh, verses 12 and 12, twelve through 17, you have here similar things, but Matthew is going to give us an extra little extra perspective. Matthew is going to help us understand a little bit, a little bit more uh, in, in the context. Remember, Mark tends to be very terse, very short with his words. Matthew gives us a little bit more. In verse 12, he says, uh, "...for whosoever hath, to him shall be given..." And he shall have more abundance, but whosoever has not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath that he hath. And he goes on, therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing not and hearing not, neither do they understand. And you get that idea, but look at look down in verse seventeen. There's an interesting dynamic here, where he says, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you have seen and have not seen them. And they would desire to hear those things which you have heard, and they haven't heard them. Matthew, Matthew clearly lays out in the parallel account here that these individuals have had opportunities to see signs, to see the miracles, to see the clear demonstration that Jesus is Messiah, and yet they were rejecting. To hear the teachings of Jesus, and yet to sit and to reject it. And so he, he highlights through that, through that part, Matthew's, Matthew's looking and saying, these individuals who are hearing this, it's not that Jesus has not given them a chance. It's not that Jesus has not given them the opportunity to repent and to actually see even more things than we've seen and that the prophets have seen. And yet they choose to be putting Christ at arm's length and to be rejecting him and hardening their heart against him. And when you put that in the literary context of Mark as well, remember at the end of chapter 3, right, right before he has the issue with his family, there's this conversation where they're talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, about the ones who will reject Christ, whether they will harden their hearts and, and reject the Holy Spirit and come to that point where they will push so hard that they, it's a sin that they cannot be forgiven of. The rejection of Jesus Christ and his, his plan and his salvation becomes this, this uh, unfur- unpardonable sin. And so in the context here, Christ has just talked about blasphemy. He's just talked about the rejection of Christ and his plan and the Holy Spirit. And Christ at this point here in, in Mark 4, verse 11 and 12, as is, is he looks at it, he's going to divinely look as only Christ can, look into the hearts of these individuals and he knows what their response is. He knows that no matter how much they see, no matter how much they hear, what are they still going to do to him? They're going to reject him. They're going to push him away. And in fact, God is going to providentially and divinely use that, pushing in the rejection away to say, okay, you're going to do that, but I'm going to use that to accomplish my plans. You're going to to so push back against me that you're going to end up crucifying my son. And that's exactly what's going to need to happen. And and God in His providence uses that. Another another interesting part in verse twelve, the word that right at the beginning that seeing they may see, it, the word here it has a, a predictive idea. The idea of as a result of, so as a result of them hardening, seeing and not not seeing, and hearing and not hearing. So Christ is almost predictively saying, this is the way it's going to be. He's not saying this is the purpose of my parables. But he's saying, in this case right here, these individuals are pushing back so hard that I know how they're going to respond and they're going to reject, reject me. And I I think it's really clever how Mark uses it. And he's putting it right there and Jesus talking about that at that point too, because Jesus is going to walk into the interpretation of the parable. He's going to talk to them about, what about your heart? do you have a hard heart like these other, like the they? I mean, he, he. it's interesting how he says, unto you is given the kingdom, but unto them that are without. You got to think, this is a year and a half, almost 18 months into Christ's ministry when this takes place. They're well aware of who the people are who are coming against Christ. Those who are followers, they know who the bad guys are. They're, they're well aware. And so Christ is going to use this to to walk into teaching about our hearts. He just says this about the sower. And now he's going to take this idea of the sower and he's going to turn and start talking about the seed, talking about the, or the soil, excuse me. He's going to talk about the soil of our heart. And we have to ask ourselves as we look, do we find ourselves being hard-hearted like those religious leaders? When we hear the teachings of God's word, how do we respond to it? And so Jesus is going gonna to talk here, and he's going he's gonna to clarify the parable. He's going to interpret the parable for us, and he's going to shift the focus a little bit in order to highlight the importance of truly hearing the, the Word of God, unlike the outsiders. And he, he starts off, and he says, Now the seed is, the, the, the sower sows the Word. So we know that the seed is the Word of God. So the sower is going out, he's going to sow. And then he goes right back through the parable, and he's going to give us the soil types, the same four soil types. He's going to rehearse the problem. He's going to interpret it a little bit for us to help us understand. He says, there was that by the wayside or that, that hard ground. And the word is sown. But when they have heard, notice, notice that all of these individuals are going to be able to hear. You're going to Verse 15, verse 16, verse 18, verse 20. All of them are going to hear the teaching of the word of God. But their response is going to be different. Just as it is going to be here You're all going to hear the word of God I'm going to hear the word of God Our responses may be drastically different And a lot of time that's dealing with where our heart's at How our soil is And so he, he looks and he says Satan is going to steal away from off that hard ground He takes away what is heard There's not even that chance It's that, it's that person who's not even going to give him a chance You walk up, you start sharing the gospel Like I don't want to hear it I don't need any religion Don't, don't talk to me at all and before you even can share the seeds or before you start to cast it out and it falls, it's, it's gone. And then he talks about the stony ground in verse 16. He says, there, there are these that it's sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They're excited. They're, okay, all right, let me hear more. And then they have no root. It's that stony, it's that shallow ground. And they endure for a time, but afterwards, when afflictions, when difficulties, when personal affliction arises, you find them becoming offended, moving away, tripping up, and, and leaving. And not, not finding themselves there consistently and, and being dedicated to Christ like a true believer, a true disciple would be. And then he goes on to say the thorny ground, where he talks about the cares of the world. They, they, the thorns grow up, and they hear the word. Those that are among the thorns, they hear the word, verse 18... And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things enter in. They choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Someone who's there for a little bit, but the cares of this life, the things that are happening in this world, does not allow them to bear that fruit. And then he goes to verse 20, where he, he, he flushes it out and says, And these things are they that are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. There's a belief factor. They're accepting it, and they're going to do something with it. And they bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100. The focus isn't on how much. The focus is on the fact that they are bearing fruit, that they have taken what they've heard, they have received it with a good heart, and they have, they have done something with it. And so Jesus, Jesus walks them through this whole, this whole little uh, teaching on the farmland the sower and the seed, the soil. And he uses all of this to say, okay, what can we take away? What can we learn? Principles we can take from a parable that many of us in this room are very familiar with. And we probably, can, probably many of you would be like, all right, we know where he's going. But let's take what Jesus is saying for a second and saying, how is our heart? How are we going to respond to what we, what we hear and what we see Jesus driving at? the parable of the sower. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility with God's word. The seed is to be sown. It needs to be sown. The, the sower goes out and he sows, sows the seed. Even, even later on in verse, uh, in verse uh, 13 uh, or 14, the sower is going to, what are they going to do? They're going to continually sow the word. And we have a responsibility, and through multiple passages, we can go through and talk about our responsibility to be sharing the word of God, to be giving out the gospel, to be telling people about it. We have a responsibility to spread it continually. The sower does it, and he doesn't just say, okay, one time. But year after year, season after season, he is going to be continually sowing his seed, going out and doing what he is responsible to do to take care of what he is called to do to spread the seed. We need to be doing it continually. He does it on all types of soil. And I think this, this, is, this is challenging to me. I mean, all, the other parts are too. But to look and to say, well, you know what? I don't know that I want to share it with this group of people because honestly, I don't know that I want them in my church. If we find ourselves saying that, that's That's concerning. If we would look and say, well, they're probably, I mean, look at that guy. He's got gauges in his ear, really big, and he's got a nose ring, and he's got tattoos all over himself. And there's no way he's going to respond to the gospel. I'm not going to share it with him, even if I'm feeling burdened by the Lord. Or do I look and say, yeah, no. He, he, it's, that's, that's probably definitely wayside ground right there, hard as hard as can be. I, I don't know what the soil's like of his heart and you don't either. And so for us to just look at an individual or a group of individuals to say, to say, we don't want this group or they have that group or these people, it, it doesn't mesh with what Christ has said. The sower indiscriminately, non-prejudicially goes out and he scatters the seed. Why? Because he understands the importance of the seed getting out into the world. To us going out into our community, to our neighborhood, to our co workers. And we may look and you you may have Muslim co workers or you may have Hindu co workers, and you're like they're, they're never gonna hear they don't want to hear Christianity. So I'm not gonna ever share. How how does that mesh with the idea of on all types of soil? He goes out and he, he does that. And he allows God to give the increase. So many times I think it's my responsibility to get someone saved. It's not. In fact, if you go down a little bit further, and I I won't go into it because Pastor will get into it later on, but notice uh, down in verse 26 and following, he gives a parable, if a man casts seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and seed should spring up and grow up, and he doesn't know how, for the earth brings forth the fruit thereof. It's not it's not the it's not the farmer who's doing it the, it is it is God's responsibility my responsibility your responsibility is to scatter the seed to get out and to share to tell to take that step of courage and step of faith to go and to tell a friend about the word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ we have to be doing that and we allow God to give the increase first corinthians chapter 3 some plant some water but is who God that gives the increase. We leave it to him, but we have the responsibility to continually sow on all types of soil. The sower is simply to be faithful in his task of spreading the seed. Failure in evangelism, failure in witnessing does not come if somebody rejects you. Failure does not come if someone says, I don't want to hear it. Failure in evangelism, failure in witnessing comes when I don't share the word of God. And I will be very open and honest. I am a failure many a times. There's times when I, and I'm like, I got things to do. You're right, I do. I should be sharing the gospel, looking for those moments, looking for those opportunities to share. What about from the soil? Because Jesus walks from the sower and he does talk about the soil. I must do something with the teachings that I hear. We know we're going to hear about it again. Evangelism. Pastor's going through a series. We know he's going to get to E and wife, and we are, he's already given us a little tip that it's going to be evangelism. We're going to hear it again. What do we do with it? What do we do with all of a sudden the next parable is don't, don't let your light be put under a candlestick. We know what that's going to be about. We know what going to, we, we know that through the gospel... This idea of evangelism is there. What do we do? What is our heart toward the idea of the teachings of Christ? You might say, well, I have really good soil when I was 25. I had really good soil in my heart when I was 40 or 60. But right now is a good soil. I have to evaluate how I receive God's word no matter if it's the topic of evangelism or if it's the topic of bitterness or it's the topic of forgiveness or it's the topic of compassion, how do I receive God's word? Do I hear it and receive it? Because he says in verse 20, those who they heard and they received, is it verse 20? Make sure I say the right one. Yeah, they heard the word and they received the word and they brought forth fruit. So many times we hear, but do we receive it? Do we do something with it? Do we take the truths that we've learned and put that into action, or are we really good at knowing a lot of facts but never doing what we what we're supposed to? Do we allow the truth to penetrate our heart, or is our heart hard? When we hear about topics, certain topics are like done. Turn me off. I, I've been there. There there are topics when I hear it, it's like I've already been baptized three times. Okay, I'm good. I you know. There was a lot of assurance issues when I was younger. Uh, but I, 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 can I turn myself off or do I listen and say, okay, how do I allow this to impact my life? When the truths are tough, do we turn away from them? When it's tough to talk about witnessing, do we look and say, okay, I know that that's supposed to be done, but that's just, I guess that's going to be one I'm going to fall short on, God. It's too tough. Do I find myself having that stony ground? Do I, do I pick and choose what I will hearken to based on ease, importance, how it will impact my life and, and the priorities, as Kevin was saying, and, and so I choose different things because this is not a priority in my life. Sharing the gospel, witnessing it, how do I, how do I look? Is it easy? No. And yes. If, if we're super excited about what Christ has done to us, should, not we, should we not want to share and be able to share at least our testimony and more? I believe so. You can do it. You absolutely can do it. But are there times where you've got that lump right here and you're swallowing and as hard as you swallow, it doesn't go away, but you know Christ wants you to say something? Yeah, there, there are those moments. But you can do it. Christ calls us to do it. He calls us to make disciples. He calls us to go and to tell and to share. And if he calls us to make disciples, and he gives that in a command, have I fulfilled a command of Christ? Am I I impacting? Am I making disciples? Am I seeing people one? Am I sharing? Am I doing at least the first part and saying, Christ, I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm being faithful. Lord, if you'll allow me to make disciples, if you'll allow me to be part of this process of making disciples, please help me to do that. Do you recognize the potential difficulties, but step out by faith anyway? There, we look at this topic, to sow seed. We can come up with a lot of, I can, I can I'll, I'll put it on me, because I can do it. A lot of excuses as to why I don't. And I can, I can, I can, fill, up a, I can fill up that board up there. And you could too, because we've done it. We've come up with excuse after excuse as to why we don't witness. And, and you know what? I'm not saying we don't because there are a number of you who are really faithful at it. But I'm, I'm turning the mirror on myself tonight and saying, could I be better? Or do I live in the glory days of the past? When when I was in college, we started a ministry at, at University of Wisconsin-Madison, right down the heart of the campus, and we call it State Street, because State Street runs right through. And we went down every Friday night, and we just, we'd talk to people. We'd, we'd interact with them. We would, I'd make balloon animals and start talking to people about the gospel. Do I do that here? Why not? What, what, what has changed in my life? Why was I so passionate then, but I look now and say, have I gotten hard-hearted toward the idea of evangelism? Because, well, there's other things to do. There's a lot of priorities in life. You know, I've got a lot of things going. Or do I look and say, okay, this is a hard thing, but I have to step out by faith and share the gospel? When I put the two together, the whole whole thing, how do I respond to hearing about evangelism? When I think about the inherent difficulties in sharing my faith, do I turn away? Have I chosen to ignore my responsibility to spread the seed of the gospel because it may interfere or impact my life in a potentially negative way. It might cause a problem at work. It might cause a difficulty between family relations because I shared the truth of God's word. It may cause some, some time away from my family because I'm going to go out and share the gospel one night or I'm going to go out and get into a Bible study with somebody and, but I really want to be at home and I want to enjoy it. Do I step out and say, I need to do some of these things? How will I do that? How will you tonight? How will I step out by faith and begin to share my faith? I need to do that. I would encourage you that you need to do it as well. How can I prepare myself? And Pam, I think this goes a little bit what you were asking. How do I prepare myself to fulfill my responsibility? You know, when we talk about so many different things in our lives, when we don't know what we do, what do we do? We we go and we read. We figure it out. When's the last time you've read a book on evangelism? Got a number up here I'd really recommend. Take some time and say, wait, if I want to know about how to fix my car, I'm going to go on YouTube and watch all these videos and figure it out. I'm going to invest time. If I want to know about how to be a better fisherman, I'm going to go read a book on fishing or I'm going to go read a blog or whatever. What about evangelism? We know we need to get better. We want to learn more about it. Do we read? Do we take the time to say, I need to invest and learn? We're going we're to be offering in the future here classes. Classes during, during the Sunday school hour, maybe on a Wednesday night, that, that look and say, hey, it's about personal evangelism. It's about witnessing. And do we look and say, yeah, no, I, I don't want that. I want this other. Maybe, maybe this year you commit to saying, I'm going to take a class that's going to help me learn. How to share the gospel better, how to turn that corner. Maybe it's gonna be something like I need to take tracks. You might say, well, those are just old and passe, nobody uses tracks anymore. They're a great reminder that I need to be sharing the gospel. To be putting them in my pocket, to be carrying them with me. And that's been a, a pastor challenge with me, me with it a, a few months ago. Just the idea of keeping tracks, it has really helped me personally to keep them on me to remind me and to have opportunities to hand somebody something, to share. Maybe it's going to be taking one of the FBI classes, the, the Faith Bible Institute classes, to look and say, there's, there's classes here that I can get grounded, I can get better answers so that I can then go share the gospel more adequately, that I can be discipled and grow in that. Oh, but that's another class, and I don't, I don't want to have to put in some of that work and do some of those things. What will we do to step out, to say, spreading the seed is important. What can I do to, to do my part, to do what Christ calls me to do? You have to ask yourself, and this is a question I end with, you think about the sower. He's out there with his, his seed bag, scattering it everywhere. And you look at your life and I look at mine. Is my seed bag still full? Because I don't spread the gospel. I'm walking around with a big, big knowledge of the gospel. But I don't spread it. Let's be people. Let's be believers who say this is important. And our heart is not going to be hard toward evangelism. But Lord, help me to respond to it. Help me to do something. Help me to pray for courage. Help me to pray for those individuals who need to get saved. But then, Lord, beyond that, give me the boldness, give me the courage to spread my seed so that my seed bag is not full. So as we think about that, let's be in prayer for us, for the courage for one another, and for a number of other things as we go to prayer tonight. But is my seed bag full? Something to think about.